0: Welcome to the Yours and Marketing Podcast. Hey, it's Blake here. If this is the first time that you're joining us on the Yours and Marketing Podcast, do me a favor. Please go wherever you get your podcast, doesn't matter where, and please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast right now, well, or after the episode, whichever works for you. We're really looking for your support so that we can build this and make it even more valuable for you. So please rate, review, and subscribe to the Yours and Marketing Podcast. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. On this episode of the Yours and Marketing Podcast, I was able to speak with Brandon Dove and Jeff Zinn, who are the co-founders of PixelJar. And we had a really fascinating conversation that shifts gears a little bit from what we normally talk about here on the Yours and Marketing Podcast, which is SEO and PPC for in-house marketers and for business owners. This dives really deep into web development and web design and how that all melts together with marketing. So, here are a few things that you're going to learn by listening to this episode. First off, we talk about how SEO integrates into the web development process. Then, we talk about the design of the internet, basically, since the beginning and how it's changed and what's similar. And then finally, we end with the future of web design including some very bold predictions on Brandon and Jeff's parts, So please listen to this. It's a very interesting, uh, very different kind of shift into the web design world, but applies very much to marketing as well. Without further ado, here is the interview with Brandon Dove and Jeff Zinn. So on the podcast today, I have the founders of Pixel Jar, Brandon Dove and Jeff Zinn. How are you guys doing today? Great. I'm
1: doing very well. Thanks for having us.
0: Awesome. So if you, if you could just introduce yourselves a little bit and your specific role with PixelJar. And then if one of you wants to tackle what PixelJar actually does, we can kind of get started there.
2: All right. Uh, I am Brandon Dove and uh, just one of the co-founders here at PixelJar. I typically handle most of the backend development with our work. Uh, we focus on WordPress specifically. So uh, that often includes like integrations with third-party platforms, all that kind of stuff, building plugins
1: and data structures, all that good stuff. And uh, I'm Jeff Zinn, uh, also one of the founders of PixelJar. Um, I do a lot of the front-end development, so that's why Brandon and I work very well together. Uh, we have right. we have some overlap in the middle, which is good. Uh, but Brandon and I actually met working at a different web firm back in 2000 or 2001. So we worked uh, there for about three or four years, and then uh, we left and formed PixelJar after that. But that's kind of where the thing that was nice was that we when we met and our personalities obviously were a good match, uh, but we saw each other's work habits and everything. So we getting into the business together actually made a lot of sense because we knew each other's work ethic. We knew our skill sets, our strengths, our weaknesses, but in that job, we did a lot of uh, PHP development as well as HTML, CSS, JavaScript, that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. which led into making a lot of our own uh, CMSs for clients. And then that led us to look for some frameworks to kind of shortcut a lot of that process and save some pricing for clients. Sure. Which was you know Drupal, Joomla, PHP, Nuke, uh, and we found WordPress, and then WordPress kind of became our focal point. We liked the community of that. We started doing the uh, Orange County Word Camp every year. We started that in two thousand and ten. We've been doing that every year since. So that's how Pixel Jar kind of got to where it is now.
0: Well, let's let's even skip back further and talk about your backgrounds before that point. Sure. Um, so, like, how? So, what, we'll start with you, Jeff. Getting into you're more of the front end development. Has that always been the case? And where did you get your start?
1: Uh, the start was actually it was a job that I had in college. Uh, so I was going to school, uh, getting a degree in applied math. Uh, but while I was doing that, I got a job doing the university's uh, bookstore website. Hmm. So that's where I learned HTML and JavaScript. And this, awesome. so this would have been like 1995, 96, back when you had to have a JavaScript file for Internet Explorer and one for Netscape. You'd have two separate ones. Netscape doesn't exist anymore, but that's okay. Yep. Internet Explorer kind <laughs> of does. A little and then, bit. yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then when I after I had graduated, I taught high school for a little while. And then I wanted to try and change districts. Uh, but while I was waiting for that shift to happen, I happened to get this web job Uh, which is where I met Brandon. And then life kind of took its own path.
0: All right, Brandon, I guess that takes us to you. Where where, where was your start in all this?
2: Uh, I mean, my background, like I love computers and video games and all that good stuff when I was a kid. And so I was always tinkering with uh, my Apple IIe and writing basic and whatever, like programming kind of just felt like it was a good fit for me. Mm. But being so much into animation and gaming and stuff like that, I actually went to college for film to learn animation, and things like that. And while I was doing that, uh, as things pan out, I ended up uh, working at Tricon Global, which is sort of the, the parent company of Taco Bell, Pepsi, KFC, Pizza Hut, all that kind of stuff. And working in their web division as an intern doing animations with the Chihuahua at the time um, <laughs> and doing all sorts of sort of viral marketing for them. Uh, which I picked up Flash and Flash sort of uh, evolved into a platform that had some scripting. So I started to do some menuing and different kind of interactive features with that and really, really took to it. And the way I ended up coming into uh, the company that Jeff was working at was I was doing some animations for them for some realtors, things like that. But they needed someone to do some development efforts around building these, at the time, marketing CDs that were being sent out in these fancy plastic cases. And, you know, uh, that was that was sort of the the next marketing trend that was happening was people were shipping out along with AOL CDs, <laughs> sending out these these fancy customized per real estate agent CDs that had animations on them and told a story about those people. So at that point I just fell into to some director development, some um, flash development animation, all that kind of stuff. And Jeff and I kinda headed off and, you know. Just started, uh, started hanging out and doing some fun stuff together.
0: How, how long did it actually take for both of you to know that you wanted to start a company together?
2: Uh, we, oh. we So we worked in a small room and we definitely, there was, it was sort of like a pit, right? There was three or four of us in a very small, very sweaty room. And we got to know each other pretty quickly uh, being in that close of quarters. So I knew like an, immediately uh, we were going to be friends and watching Jeff work and understanding what his work ethic was, like that was the same attention to detail that I put towards all my work. So I had done some freelancing in the past and knew that, you know, if anything ever went south, then, you know, I could always fall back on some freelancing. And as it turned out, like things didn't go south, but I was having uh, my first daughter. And mm-hmm. I decided that day I was going to take off and do my own thing. And a couple of months in, when I had a few clients, I brought Jeff in and we, you know, said, okay, this is, this is what's going to happen. Sounds yeah.
0: like a risky time for, for you to jump into that. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's
2: great because <laughs> it's, uh, the pressure is there. You need to keep your, your foot on the gas, keep it going. Yeah. And, you know, you just, just never look back. Always, always moving forward.
1: Yeah. One of the things about the, the company we have worked at was it was, there was a couple projects and a couple periods of time where things were really, really tough so either the company wasn't doing well or the project was just grinding us all down but through all that uh again brandon you know he never gave up i never gave up like we're always going to do the best we could no matter like we always want to deliver a good product and again like i said over the course of three years i think each other seeing again how much we we're putting into a project even when it wasn't going great was one of those mm-hmm. things that again going free well we weren't going freelance on our own we we're making our own company but we knew that even if times were going to get lean like we were going to stick together like we could support each other and get through it and it's kind of yeah it's very much like a it's like a marriage like can you can you work together can you get through the tough times that's the hard and the great question versus you know if things are going great that makes it easy but uh mm. yeah but with brandon so even when we were working together when we weren't working together we were uh, we had a ping pong table that we brought into that office we worked in so there's a lot of tournaments going on <laughs> we we brought our uh we we ate at Del Taco a lot for lunch, and we at a certain point we decided we needed more exercise because we were eating fast food. So we we both brought in uh, roller skates to roller skate over to Del Taco. That was our exercise every day. <laughs> so like just beyond the work, there was a lot of like we were getting along just fine.
2: And and not that not that uh, you can see us or anything, but we're both tall people. Like both of us are over six foot. Uh, so you can kind of imagine some. Uh, some mid twenties skating down the the street, you know, it, it was
1: for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how all so, our stories so far, are like we we clearly came up in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. for, no, for
0: sure. The AOL discs. yeah, CDs, Netscape, Netscape. Well, say if if I were to have a ping pong tournament like right now, who's coming out on
2: top?
1: Brandon. Ooh, yeah, Brandon always had something. <laughs> yeah. Like it was always close, but Brandon always had something extra. <laughs> and i don't i don't know how he always he had just a slightly better curve or he had, had a stronger i think honestly so brandon we are both tall but brandon's about two inches tall than i am so i think his reach was just a little bit farther
0: so he'd get right. that
1: get that slam just over the net a little bit better than i could were you at least a better skater uh no i ate it twice he only ate it once <laughs> man you know, it sounds uh, like you got
0: some ground to make up then on on brandon always <laughs> So let, let's talk about PixelJar a little bit. Your preference, obviously, is now to develop on WordPress, but you mentioned Drew, Joomla, and Drupal, and all these other CMSs that you've dabbled with before. How did you actually end up with the decision that WordPress was the right place? You know, the right place to focus your efforts for your clients.
2: Yeah, honestly, I think for me it was the community. We we picked up the platform in probably about 2007. And I think we were just working on a small personal site or something like that. Uh, like Jeff said, we had made our own content management systems previously. So we were using the one that Jeff had built and uh, and it was fine for doing a lot of the basic things, but uh, WordPress you know, was supported by an open source community. And as we started digging into it, building projects, we were find, finding ways to be able to push it beyond what it could possibly do. And it would it would bend a little bit and you know sometimes you'd break it and then you'd kind of push that back in and things would kind of work but in 2009 we got involved in the orange county wordpress community and you know i i think jeff and i had gone to our first WordCamp up in san francisco which was this crazy experience that i hadn't really connected with people i went to a flash forward conference like back mm-hmm. in the 90s and to me, that was like, oh my gosh, there's all these like celebrities of Flash, right? And to me, the WordCamp kind of felt like that. You could watch these people who you've heard of but never seen, and you can go talk to them in person. They're actually real people. It's amazing. And I told Jeff at one point, I said, We need to have a WordCamp here in Orange County. Like that's gotta happen. And I said, No way. Yeah. And and right <laughs> away, like he he knew, like Jeff is the the more logical of the two of us. He knew. All the work that would go into that, and you know, like I'm just like excited by it. And I said, "No, it's going to happen." And initially, at the point, at that point, I had gotten turned down for the the application because clearly, I don't know what you know to do about event planning or anything like that. <laughs> but there was one happening in L.A. by by someone at the time who I didn't know but know very well now. And we started kind of going to all these word camps, like one in Vegas. I went to one in New York on a shoestring of a budget. And stayed in a completely random stranger's um, floor in their apartment because (laughs) I asked on Twitter and and they said yeah like come stay at my house, and it was just this welcoming, open community that just made me fall in love with it. And to this day, like we've we've done ten word camps in Orange County, which have grown year after year, and the the size of the camp as well as the community who's helping organize it has grown and. Like all these people that, that we work with all the time for, for WordCamps, like these are like our friends day to day, you know, we talk to them all the time. So mm. it now feels like it's just part of our our life. Yeah,
1: and I think Brian and I were both attracted to the open source nature of WordPress. Like we liked mm. we liked that it wasn't a proprietary or hidden. Like we if we needed to get in there and fix something, we could. But even more so, like once we learned that, oh, we can actually contribute to the core or we can make these plugins that can help people too. It was a nice way of, uh, you know, kind of giving back to something that we're obviously building our business on. Right. Uh, but like Brandon said, like the, and some of the other CMSs were also open source, but WordPress was the only one where again, where we met people who were also doing it and maybe in other places in the world, there was uh, Drupal and Joomla meetups going on, but well, we weren't finding them here. But again, we started meeting other companies that were also doing stuff on WordPress. So it was a good, like they started developing, I don't want to call it like, it wasn't like a brain trust, but like it, you know, we had these meetups every month where you could go like, man, I was kind of struggling with this plugin. You have three or four people kind of over your shoulder, like, oh, try this, try that. And, you know, something better always came out of it. And I think we like mm. that everyone is inter- interested in the better good for both usability, security, and all the other things that go into it. So, again, having the world's best interests in mind uh, was very attractive as well.
0: What, what kind of impact did WordCamp have on your personal business? <laughs>
1: Negative at first. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it was actually good at first. It's, uh, so the early, early WordCamps were, because again, it was a lot of businesses that would be going again, to learn a little bit more about WordPress, but also meet other WordPress people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was probably the first two, three years. And then WordPress is really, or sorry, WordCamps really started to take off and you could find one any weekend. And it wasn't, you know, at first it was kind of the US and a little bit of Europe. And then it was literally around the world. Like you could find them, in Africa, Australia, Asia, everywhere whatever language you were speaking, you could probably find a WordCamp. So it became very uh, user-focused rather than developer-focused. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, I think when it was developer-focused, there was there was connections and networking and business to be found at the WordCamps. And that's not necessarily why we were going there, but we would come back with jobs sometimes. Now it's much, it seems to be much more about learning and passing on knowledge and exploring new ideas, which isn't... Good or bad, it just—it's just a shift in the, the mindset of what what to expect from a WordCamp, I think.
0: So so inherently, it doesn't necessarily hasn't necessarily led to this huge increase in in new business, but at the same time, building that community probably has had some kind of positive effect on PixelJar as a whole, I'm guessing.
2: Sure, yeah, I mean we're we're definitely a part of the community um, here locally. And I actually um, volunteer some time for the the global community team for WordPress as well. Um, so, you know, there's some visibility in there, sure. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that the work is a little removed from you know what we actually do. So it's not like there's a prestige or anything like that goes along with that. It's more of just like you know, I I feel very comfortable. Actually, I was just traveling recently in Houston. And I realized that there was a, a meetup the week that I was there. So I just went into the meetup and, you know, already knew two or three people just because we've been so mm-hmm. involved in the community. So it's, it's great to be able to like connect with people online and then show up in a place and find them in, in real life and actually go have some tacos or whatever. Sure. So,
0: well, I'm, I want to, I want to shift a little bit because you mentioned that Brandon, you prefer more the backend development side, Jeff, you're more on the front end, but, you know if jeff you're the more logical one it would, you would it would make sense to me that you would be more into the back end development with the uh, you know the code and everything obviously there's code on the front end as well but why why is that what is it with your personalities that you th- you think you prefer those specific things
1: uh you know so that's super funny and it that goes to our degrees, too so again brandon's degree degree was in film and animation and stuff like that which again yeah. very front end heavy uh but brandon's one of those people that he gets curious about uh like a language. He goes, hey, I read about this thing called PHP last night. And I was like, oh, okay. And he goes, oh, I'm going to learn it this weekend. And he would. He'd come back on Monday and go, okay, check out what I can do with PHB. Uh So there's something about the logic sequences that Brandon really enjoys. Oh, why have Brandon appeal to me? That's actually a great question, and I don't necessarily know the answer. I enjoy... I think I know, I
2: think I know oh. the answer to this one.
1: Yeah, we have to answer each uh, other's questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Jeff
2: is is super organized. Um, like, Like, really not obsessive, but he he really uh-huh. likes an order of things, and things like um, JavaScript and um, things like CSS need that sort of like, in order to come back and not hate yourself later. You have to set yourself up with an order of things, and he's really good at sort of structuring folders. You know, structuring the the way the code comes in, so that that order and that organization is is super helpful. I think in front end development, so you don't lose track of like oh, where's this one CSS rule coming from? I have no idea. I don't know. I just wrote this whole thing. There's no file that has 2,000 lines of CSS. It's all neatly broken up and compartmentalized Mm. by, you know, either functionality or, you know, where it it applies to the site. So it's really easy to get back in there and and kind of dig in.
0: Gotcha. And... Now that you're, I mean, you're, you've been at this since 2004, right? So it's been a while and you've been building this company for a long time. How do you still find the opportunities to get in the weeds with coding, whether it's back end, front end, whatever you're doing?
2: I mean, even now, like there's, there's so many new opportunities because every day there's a new startup that's, that's launching that, um, you know, has some new feature that they're trying to present for different websites. So, you know, there's a new way to integrate something into WordPress, whether, it's learning a new API within WordPress because I don't think I'll ever get through all of those. Like if if I get bored with one aspect, I can very easily shift to 15 different other things that WordPress, you know, allows for. But yeah, there's there's so many services that you can integrate with your website. And I mean, every day we come up with a website, like we'll, we'll approach your client and they'll have a plugin we've never seen before. Right. And we're like, oh, that's that's weird. Let's dig into this a little bit, you know, see what this is all about. Like I can't tell you how many different form plugins there are, form building plugins for WordPress, either internally to WordPress or offered as a service, something like a HubSpot or something that we have to integrate sure. within within WordPress. So there's there's a never-ending landscape of, of things to
1: look for. I think we get a lot of it too with the workflow. So inherently, programmers are always looking for a shortcut, and we'll spend hours to try and find a five-minute shortcut, and we'll feel very <laughs> satisfied in doing that. But with, uh, I guess, when we're working with WordPress, you know, we we have a theme or a framework we're working with. It has to get, it has to compile JavaScript, uh, SAS, whatever it is. A couple of years ago, we started experimenting with Grunt, and that was cool. And then about a year after that, like, you know what? Let's try Gulp instead. And then someone else came in and said, you know what? We should try Webpack. And we're always experimenting. So that's always a, just like Brandon said, like let's open this up and let's see what this looks like mm. and. Uh, so it keeps us sharp. Um, we probably not, never had a, a workflow that lasted longer than a year or so, I would think, because just because again we're always trying to iterate and and stuff moves so fast in technology that you do have to kind of keep making sure you're at least seeing what's out there, even if you're not using it. Well, what
0: are your thumb? So we're talking about WordPress here and and just how flexible it is and everything you can integrate into it. But then there are these simpler website builders like a Squarespace or a Wix. You know things that inherently kind of try to do things for you i would love to get your opinion on those website builders
1: oh i was just gonna say i i i think they're great and I, I think they give a lot of people a good starting point and for some people it's mm-hmm. a good end point as well like they just needed that and it's a price point they can do and it's a system they can manage and it probably intuitively seems like that would be eating into our work but honestly we find a lot of people that will hit the limits of wix and squarespace and so that's when mm-hmm. they come to us and say hey I was using Squarespace, I got to this level, it plateaued, I needed to go farther, like, no problem. Transition to WordPress and off they go again. But there's always been something like that through a whole, I was actually talking with someone else like this. Uh, early on building websites was like this weird magic that a lot of people like, oh, I just don't understand how you do that. <laughs> and then Adobe and Macromedia both had like their web builders that came out. And suddenly people were like, oh, people can build their own websites now, are you worried about this? And I was like, uh, no, not really, I mean, yeah, that's cool that people can do that. But again, that's a it's a builder. It can you If you don't understand what's going on, you can't specialize it or mm-hmm. customize it. And then uh, that gave way to a couple other things. And again, with WordPress itself, people can download it and build their own website. You can download a theme, you download your plugins. You can get pretty far on your own. And again, that's good. It's, it gives people a great place to start. And again, one thing we find is a lot of people that will do Wix or Squarespace will find out a lot of what it is that they want. So by the time they do come to us for work, it's that we we used to get a lot of clients or prospects that would come to us and say, hey, I need a website. And we'd always say, that's great. Like, what do you need that website to do? And like, I don't know, I just, I know I need a website, which is a very vague <laughs> and difficult uh, sure. project to deliver on. But if they've been on Squarespace and say, hey, I built this e-commerce site that needs to tie into this drop shipment thing, and I'm having trouble with the Stripe payment thing. So I need a website that does Stripe payment, this drop shipment. You know, it's this very specific project. Like, man, we can deliver on that. That's a good bullet point list of things to hit on this project. Yeah. So,
2: yeah, I think there's a place for all those platforms, right? I mean, my my kids' schools use Squarespace for their their PTO platforms, right? Because it's easy for anybody to really just spin up like a couple page website and just drop some content in. And mm-hmm. they could do that with WordPress on WordPress.com. They could do it with Squarespace or Wix, whatever. And, and honestly, like there's there's a, a reason to use every one of them. Um, and, and really, it just depends on what your goals are. So that's really where we start our discussions with all our clients is what their goals are. Um, so.
0: what, what would be the reasoning for doing something that's maybe considered more advanced than WordPress, like Joomla or Drupal, like something that's a little bit more reliant on needing development and less on, you know, it's kind of built in for you? What what would be the reasoning there?
2: Sure. I mean, the I think honestly it's a it's a level of comfort. For for us, we work with a lot of people who they say, like, I just know Drupal or I know someone who knows Drupal. So there's a comfort level in using a platform that you know you can reach out to someone and be like, Help. Right. And for us, like we know WordPress inside and out at this point. We've been using it for so long. So for us, like that's that's our go-to, and not that we can't use those other platforms. Like I, I wouldn't say necessarily that Drupal is any more robust than WordPress is. I think that sure. they uh, they have the same sort of capabilities to be extended to do whatever you need, and it really depends on what your custom needs are. There's even uh, one of our friends has been messing around with Gatsby and working with more static pages, right? Like. There's this resurgence of, I need a static website. So it's really interesting seeing, you know, performance being the driver of some of those static website needs, but still needing the ability, like we, we still need to be able to, you know, upload content easily. No one wants to whip out a code editor just to write a blog post, right? They, I mean, some developers do, but <laughs> but no normal person wants to do that as their normal workflow. They want something where... They can enter some information, you know, kind of style it minimally. Probably build out some nice content, and then go, you know, make dinner or do something normal <laughs> with their life. Right? right? The web is sort of just an extension of of what we're doing normally. So, uh, I I think it's interesting to see how different platforms can work for for different people.
0: Yeah, that that is interesting, and I think obviously this is a marketing podcast, so I do I want to I want to blend these ideas together because. Web development, web design, it they're, they're separate categories from something like an SEO, for example. But at the same time, there's so, there's so much overlap, or at least there needs to be. Maybe there isn't necessarily always that overlap, and there should be. But um, if, if I were to tell both of you, you're independent consultants, you're going to be sitting down with a business owner that kind of has the mentality of, I expect online marketing results right now. But you know for a fact that they haven't actually made the design of their website, the setup of their website, a priority. What would you tell them? Like, what would be the hard truth that you would just sit them down and have to lay on them?
1: Uh, the hard truth on that one is always, uh, it's more work than you think. Yeah. Like there's no There's no magic bullet of like, hey, we did these three things and you're all set. Like, don't even have to look back or worry about this and maintain it. Like, it's a uh,
2: we always look to back to what their goals are. Right. Like, why do you want to do what you're saying you need? Right. Like, has Mm -hmm. someone told you, you need that. And that's why you're going after that. Or is it because if, if you get on page one of Google, you know, you're going to be more visible and you're going to, that's going to net to some more return on whatever investment you're putting in. Right. But a lot of people, we talk about SEO as being an ongoing process, right? Like it is not something you just drop it on your website and you're like, yeah, walk away. I'm done. Never have to deal with that again. Thank you very much um it is something for sure that you have to to return to time and time again to make sure that you know oh google's changed their algorithm guess what the mm-hmm. things you you have done before are no longer even valid actually they might be hurting you right mm-hmm. and you have to go and make some adjustments there and some of those are super technical seo and some of those are you know you you can write good content consistently and put that out there and that's going to be more beneficial to you than you know, trying to chase whatever Google's dangling in front of you, um, <laughs> right? If you if you're yeah. doing that consistently, you're gonna actually do better in the long run. It's sort of like uh, investing, right? Like if you sure. if you put yeah. in that time consistently, you're gonna get a, a result. We uh, uh, get a high return on your on your effort later on.
1: Right, and I think also with the the overtime thing is we we really try to stress a lot of uh, data driven decisions. So we mm-hmm. will get you do get a lot of emotional requests like I I feel like if we just change this red to blue that we're going to get a better return on this you know button click or something like that and we say maybe again why why do you think that and again sometimes they do really know their customers and there's a good reason for it sometimes it's just like a gut feeling they have right so we do a lot of uh, split testing we like really okay let's good theory let's test that theory let's not just make the change and then hope that it works. And again, like, don't expect to, we're not going to have the answer in a day. Like, let's let this run for a month or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really see what happens. And we got to do, you know, one or two experiments at a time. Like, can't, we throw everything out there. And then like, it's better. We did 10 experiments. We're not sure which of these 10 made it better. So, so again, like I said, trying to go data driven, that's another thing we really try to stress with clients. Well, just, just like you
0: mentioned, Brandon, the SEO is always changing. So they're, you know, you always have to stay on top of that. Obviously, web design is always changing too. They're sure. what what looked good 10 years ago doesn't necessarily look good now. How often should clients actually consider redesigning their website?
2: I think uh, what we see a trend of um, our clients, we try to keep um, good relationships with our clients in the long term. So we see them come back, I would say probably by every two years is when they start talking about it at least like you don't mm-hmm. necessarily need a new website design every 2 years but a, you know a lot of our clients will do ongoing refreshes of certain sections of their site so there's no you know massive redesign but you know every every few years couple years is is really when we start hearing from clients that like oh, I'm kind of getting tired of this design like we need to spruce it up a little bit you know
1: yeah sometimes that will be driven by just like you said, like Google, Google put out, uh, again, a couple years ago when they said, we're going to start digging you if your site's not mobile. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of redesign work then because you know, there was something driving that need. Uh, right now, I said in the last probably two or three years, it's, it's definitely speed driven. So optimizing, which isn't really a redesign so much as a, an optimization, but it, it does still kind of bleed into the code a little bit. Like, you know, is your markup good? Is it lean? Is your CSS file bloated, your JavaScript? Do you have stuff you're loading that you're not even using, that kind of stuff? Uh, but usually once you start digging in a little bit, then you start looking at usability and again, it does start bleeding over a little bit. Is is
0: it more fun to redesign a website that you've already designed or to start from scratch?
2: (laughs) That's a great question. (laughs) I think there's, there's, there's some new challenges, right? Like I think that one of the things that, one of the reasons why I continue to be in this business is because every project's a new challenge, right? Like. Yes, we're still building websites. Yes, we're probably doing it for similar industries, but mm-hmm. everybody has a unique challenge of of where they're trying to wedge themselves in a market, and it lets us, you know, approach it from a different perspective or take their story and, you know, these these guys are a little more grassroots than this big corporation. Like, let's lean into that and, you know, really make it a nice design. So, I would say like, you know, it's it's nice Redesigning a, a a current client site, something you're familiar with, because you can step back and and you know reapproach it with a different eye. I think there's the the challenge there is a lot of times clients have gotten used to the look that you've given them the last time, mm-hmm. and they're, they they kind of oh what can we like tweak this thing other you know to go back like this and it's more like the old design. So changing minds as to what they're set in is hard sometimes. So, you know, sometimes it is nice to not have to worry about that with a new client. Just be like, hey, we're going to redesign this. It's going to be brand new for all of us. So we're all going to be in this together, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Where, where does SEO, in your in your own personal process for, let, let's say, starting from scratch, so not necessarily a redesign, but new client, they need a, an entire new site. Where does SEO fall in that? Is that something that you talk about every single day with them? Or is it something that it falls at a specific timeline yeah. that you worry about?
2: No, we definitely talk about that early and often, you know, it's like things even like URL structures, like, are you going to be completely wiping all of your content? Like, are you going to restructure it? Like, how does that all fall into what's already indexed in Google? Those are those are big questions that we ask. And a lot of a lot of times clients don't know, right? They they know their messaging is off. And so finding out how to restructure content sometimes or someone comes in with a bad navigational structure, we got to restructure some of that. We talk about the implications of doing that, you know, having to put in redirects to make sure that Google still can find content that they've mm-hmm. indexed. All of those pieces definitely go into it. But a, a lot of times we'll, we'll talk about content just from, you know, like the first thing you need to do is make sure that it's human readable, because if it's not, mm-hmm. when people get there, it's not going to matter, right? Like no one's going to yep. understand what you're talking about, even if you're Ranking page one for Google for some random keyword that no one's searching, right? Those are definitely things that we talk about, um, and and even like how how that's that site the new site is going to perform because we need to start looking at certain cornerstone content to position them higher in higher in the search engines than they would have otherwise, right? Yeah, it, it, content is a big thing that we talk about clients with.
1: Yeah, and it's usually one of the first things we'll ask for, even before maybe we even signed a contract It was like, can we see your analytics? Like we want to see what the site's doing now, what things are working, what things aren't working. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: and that's also kind of when you have a conversation with them too, about what the analytics mean, because they, they always want to know like, what are the, was this good or is this bad? And some stats can, they can go either way. Like, you know, people, people visiting only one page, is that good or is that bad? It depends. Uh, either they got bored and they bounced or maybe they found exactly what they were looking for for a great search, again, you did a good job, you gave them exactly mm-hmm. what they wanted and they did a phone call which you may not be tracking. But again, we'd like to see what their site's doing before we make any changes because we don't want to push the apple cart over. And if they, again, if they do have some things working, we want to maintain those structures, whatever's going on. And again, if there's some obvious problems, like, oh, clearly like this page that you have, that you built, you spent a lot of time on this landing page, no one's ever visited it. Let's mm-hmm. figure out why, again, is this important to you? Are you pushing traffic here? That kind of stuff but it all starts with that analytics. And then again, that, that constant SEO talk of like Brent said, really, it comes down to good content. Again, this Google will figure out if you had bad markup and great content. And it, I mean, if you look at this, isn't the best example, but uh, like Wikipedia. Isn't the most attractive site and isn't totally mobile friendly, but everybody goes there, which is why they're always the top rank because it's the first thing that people will look at to at least try and get mm-hmm. some information about a topic. And again, Google recognizes that. People like, when you search in, you know, Fender Guitars or whatever it is, people like to go to Wikipedia first, so we're going to send them to Wikipedia first. And that's because, again, it's good content. Well, it's, sure. it's content that people want. Let's... So Yes.
0: <laughs> Not always good content. But <laughs> right, that's, right. That's let's, content. let's qualify it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the inverse of that, I guess, What do you have, either of you have an examples of, Things you've heard in the past or things you've seen in the past that are big mistakes in regards to web designers, web developers, totally ignoring marketing throughout the entire process?
1: Uh, The biggest thing for us is um, we'll get clients that will come to us and we'll ask them, like, do you have a blog? And they go, yeah. Or, you know, our last developer said we should have a blog. We put in 10 blog posts and then you look and like they put in 10 blog posts, you know, three years ago. Like, no, Mm -hmm. you're you're actually not blogging. Like that, that was, you missed the point on that one. Uh, so again, it's, it's the lack of that, like follow-up, right? That is the, one of the biggest, uh, failures we'll see with, uh, content, uh, clients and prospects.
0: I have, I have a big undertaking. I I, I know this is a lot to ask, so I want to do a thought experiment with you guys. Uh, but feel free to let me know if this is just going to be too much, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I want, I kind of, I want to take a journey with you with your expertise through web design from the early days of the internet till now. Mm. And I want to talk about what are those drastic changes that you've noticed from the beginning of the internet's time until this point? Like where did we start? Where are we now? What are the biggest differences?
2: I think you get like, it goes in weird waves, right? Like uh, yeah, you'll definitely. get something that, that pushes the boundaries of whatever this new thing is, right? Flash is a great example. Like you went from something that was like, Oh, I've got like some animation for a cartoon or something like that to like, mm, I want to skip intro page. Like I've got to have this flash intro, you know, I've got to have my navigation in flash cause it looks so much cooler, you know, all this stuff. And like the idea behind that was, you know, subtle animation is going to help people feel like this is a more living, breathing thing. It's going to breathe Mm -hmm. life into the web. But, you know, we as humans sort of push that all the way to the boundaries of like all the flash, all the shiny, all the audio happening (laughs) all at the same time. And then we start scaling back from that. Right. So like you have this, this wave of like push it as far as it can go and then let's settle it back down. And now, like Flash is gone, right? Because no one wants that to, to, to happen again. But now what you'll see as a result of that is something like subtle JavaScript animations on, on SVG files or something like that, that, you know, you're like, you see it and you're like, oh, that's kind of a nice touch. Like that little that little cog is spinning. Um, yeah. You know, when you hover over something, it, it sort of like yep. subtly moves. Like that's a nice attention to detail that can set apart a site from like, Oh, this is just a, a straight HTML site, and it's it's very blocky, and I've got blue underlined links, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think the entire sort of web goes in that way, right? They they pick a thing that we're gonna focus on, take it to the extreme, and then they dial it back into something that's like way more reasonable for for human consumption.
1: Yeah, I think um, it, how much it's integrated into our lives is, which has obviously drastically changed since uh, the '90s. Because sure. when when we first started developing, most sites were either for a laugh or for like a fancy. A lot of people had personal sites like "This is who I am," and it was just like a way for them to express themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Slowly, a few businesses started making a website for themselves, and a lot of times it was just so you could find their address and their phone number. And this is we would still we would go to MapQuest, we would print out directions to the restaurant, whatever it was, <laughs> you know. And it slowly iterates, and then. Then it got to a point where uh, a business with a website was a must. Like you could not not have a website. That was a weird thing. Now we're kind of a, to a point where you don't just have to have a website. You actually have to have a pretty attractive and useful website because there's, because everybody has a website and now they're deciding right. it's not whether you got a website or not. It's which is the most trustworthy, good looking website. Mm-hmm. And people are judging a book by its cover, which that's just what we do. And that's fine. Absolutely. Um, but it's not just with business. Like it's, it's everything now. Like, again, there was, there was a time when people didn't really trust the internet. Like they would, I would never put my credit card on to buy something. That's ridiculous. And now people store their credit cards on their browsers and most shopping is through there. All your banking's through there, uh, your calendars, everything. Like if we turned off the internet, the Western world would freak out. We wouldn't know what to do. (laughs) We would have to learn how to be bored again because right now we don't have to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) it's, it's
1: just slowly become more and more necessary and, uh, involved in our lives which it's a good and a bad thing i mean it's not obviously we survived before it but the now you see uh, kids at schools all have like they get given a tablet like this is how you do your homework now yep you know and so like i said it's just part of our lives now which mm. again if had you told me this when i was 20 they're like hey there's gonna be this thing it's called the internet and you're gonna do everything through it i would say i don't know what you're talking about that doesn't even make sense to me
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, what what about what about like the similarities because if I look at it right now, obviously the the very early days everything's just like in HTML, so it's plain text on a page. Now, I, I look at websites and I notice that, yeah, there are those little subtle things that people do to try to spruce things up. But for the most part, good web design now is based a lot on simplicity. Sure. Yeah. So I think that there, there's a little bit of a similarity there, but I would love to hear from your perspective, what's what's actually surprising to you that hasn't changed that much?
1: Uh, that everybody, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is a bit of like tough love for clients, but it's one of those things where you got to look at your website the way somebody else looking at your website would see it. So again, if I'm building a website for my company, like all, you know, my mission statement, my logo, these are things that are precious to me, but not necessarily to you. You're looking at like, all mm-hmm. I wanted was your phone number. Like, I, like yeah, your logo is nice, but it doesn't need to be giant. And really, I just wanted that phone number. Like, give me the phone number. Uh, and so you have to kind of, to get them to can kind of dial back uh, what they think is important versus what a user maybe actually wants from the website is a hard thing because there was a time when a website, it really was just, you know, like make a big logo, like this is my company, here's a few of my products, that kind of a thing. And now it's, again, it's almost like building it, like if you made a storefront, like an actual storefront that people walked into, uh, you wouldn't necessarily put the products that you think are the most important right in the window. You're going to put the stuff that you know sells the most and will attract people to come into the store because you're trying to get people to come in to buy stuff. So the same thing is true with the website. You got to look at it from a user's perspective and not from... Mm. Your personal perspective. I
2: mean, I think things that haven't changed too, or I mean, yes, it used to be just a straight HTML page with, you know, just, just literally text, right? No imagery, yep. things like that. Um, but I think in, in terms of, of layouts of website, like lay, layouts haven't really changed too much. You're that's pretty true. standard on like headers are going to be across the top. Like we mm-hmm. call them headers, right? Like that's because right. they're, they're grounded in what their what their layout positioning is. Uh, navigations are probably across the top. You've got a sidebar. Like we have these very common areas that, you know, in twenty years of web development haven't really changed all that much. There, you don't see a lot of new, very unique kinds of layout. Sure, we have blocks and things like that, but there's generally some sort of navigational structure, some sort of content, some sort of footer and probably a sidebar on one of the sides. Like like I remember selecting those things in like PHP Nuke, like how many, you know, how many sidebars do you want? You want one on the right, you want one on the left, you want one on both sides. Like that's just that that standard structure has stayed. Like I've seen uh, one of the projects that I was involved in actually as a WordPress theme that was developed by one of our friends that he had asked us to help us with integration on uh, was actually a brand new look for a website instead of scrolling vertically, it actually scrolled horizontally. The, the theme for WordPress was called Shelf by the, the Theme Foundry. And it was, it was super unique because very much like Tumblr, it had unique content types for like audio and um, pictures and all that kind of stuff. And the premise was it actually had a, like a, a visual shelf like across the bottom. And all of your things sort of sat on it like picture frames would, like in your house. Like it was very realistic in in that sense, Mm -hmm. right? Like we all know how how a shelf works, basically. Right. And it was was like received well from a design aesthetic. Everyone was like, wow, that's so cool, so unique. But it didn't last very long because everyone's like, I don't want to scroll horizontally. Like my hand is always, (laughs) my mouse is always on the right side of my browser, right? And... It like those conventions, like those very basic conventions, I think are really hard to break away from because like people have have become so familiar with that, that way of browsing that that's just how, you know, it works even so much as like you get to a website and you understand how your mouse works, right? Like your scroll wheel scrolls the page. But when websites Mm kind of hijack your mouse wheel and like scroll Sort of content like Apple does this right. Like when you scroll through their iPhone pages, it's not like a you're not scrolling and and manipulating the browser like you feel like you should. Right. Like mm-hmm. some sort of like building of a a, a visual is happening in it. It feels weird. You know, you accept it because the web does do different things sometimes, but it it doesn't feel quite right. It it makes you a little uneasy, and I think people just gotta stray away from that sometimes because. The last thing you want to do is is make one of your visitors, your precious visitors, uneasy
1: on your website. Well, I think that's it, an interesting point too. That we've we've definitely developed conventions just of the, of the web layout, how it functions. You know, you're clicking on the logo, will go home, and that's one of the things we always stress with our clients too. Like, if if you want to break any of those web conventions, you have to have a very good reason, because one, we have to teach your user when they come to your site, clicking on the logo actually does this other thing instead, and again, it has to be a highly useful function for mm-hmm. that like um, unless you're apple amazon or someone who has so many users that you can you can be the one to teach people like this is the new convention like you gotta you get people expect your site to work a certain way and you should conform to, no you don't, not that you should conform to that but <laughs> it, no i got you I okay got you. <laughs> That's yeah a, i got you not sounded very heavy-handed <laughs> not,
0: yeah not like a big brother kind of thing. right right not like <laughs> I got, that but,
1: i got you <laughs> yeah don't don't make them work harder than they need to
0: yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, do you think that given that the conventions are pretty solidified, it's like it's the same thing with the car. The car was made originally how many years ago? And, yeah, the designs changed a little bit. But overall, we still use the car the same way. Yeah. We still put our you know our pedal, the pedal and, and everything with the steering wheel. But with, with the websites, I guess it's so far, 20-plus years into it, pretty similar in terms of the conventions being the same, even if the designs changed a little bit. But do you think that it's actually – a good thing for the convention to stay the way it is or do you think that people should really try to break the boundaries and push past conventions and change the narrative
2: yeah i mean i think um, i think innovation's huge right like like jeff said like that's kind of one of for me one of my driving things with development is like what what can i get into and break next and and having that mentality i think is good you know across the board right it keeps us mm-hmm. more secure it keeps us optimizing you know everything that we're doing um, it, it it keeps things new, right? If we just settle into whatever the old thing is, then, you know, like we're never going to see how far we can push it, to like just like Flash, right? You push mm-hmm. it, you have to get it as far as you can before you sort of dial it back into what's actually useful for us. So I think I think those experiments in different layouts are really, really useful. And, you know, we should definitely continue trying those things. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: and just like you mentioned with that the shelf theme, like it's uh, just because. There's a way that we do things doesn't mean it's a good idea.
2: So it's sure. good to try. <laughs> yeah. Again,
1: we tried scrolling horizontal. Who knows? Like that might have, everyone might have gone, you know what? That actually makes a lot more intuitive sense. I mean, that could have happened. It didn't, but now we know, okay, that's not the way. And it's good that we're still scrolling up and down. But uh, there was a, a shift a while ago where people started trying the, you know, the hamburger mobile menu as a permanent thing rather than so that the right. the desktop and the mobile experience were a little more conjoined. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of it had some footing for a while. People were like, "I think I like this better," but ultimately, after a couple of years, that people were like, "No, in desktop, we really we want to see what our choices are, mm-hmm. and in mobile, we need things out of the way because it's too little space." But again, it's rad that we're trying these things. We absolutely should because again, there always might be a better way.
0: It's interesting you bring up the hamburger menu because I was just going to ask you: Do you think that there's been a bigger shift in web design than the shift to having to design for phones, like specifically for when the iPhone comes out? All of a sudden, the the desktop internet that we try to cram into the iPhone is a horrible experience. Yeah. yeah. And so obviously that was a huge change. Was there any other change or or trend that was comparable to that in magnitude?
1: Yeah, I would say well it, on par with that was so the first thing that happened with that. Two things happen with that. One, going to the like that mobile first mentality was good because it really uh, load time and content suddenly became very, you had to be very, very uh, choosy about it, right? You couldn't like you couldn't load that whole page because it took too long on the phone, especially when we we're early iPhones and we were on um, <laughs> 3G, yeah, 2G or whatever, <laughs> 2G even, <yeah. laughs> whatever it was yeah. at the time. <laughs> so you took a hard look at like on this page, like what do I need the user to, to do or get? Uh, and again, because we were doing mobile first because we had to look at mobile first and then build upward, the the trend into the desktop became that same sort of like, oh, you know what on desktop? Like let's not throw everything onto every single page. Like what do we need the user to do on this page? And that was a good shift. And then we started getting tablets. and, and then suddenly it wasn't just phone and desktop. like there were screen sizes everywhere in between. right? So you had to have this like this giant accordion of variability. And it really, again, you keep asking that same question of like, okay, no matter how they're coming to this page, what do I need them to do? And then I think that was great because it became like this question of like, uh, again, what do you need from the user? What's the easiest way for them to get it, regardless of how they're getting here? Because at that point, uh, you know, mobile traffic for most people is about fifty percent. So you you can't say, well, you know, only ten percent of our customers were coming on mobile, so we're just going to focus on desktop. Like that wasn't you could that wasn't allowed anymore. You had to like just mm-hmm. do everything. So. Again, the mobility of the content started forcing us to ask questions about the delivery of the content itself. And that was a huge shift in both SEO and content writing and uh, display. Mm. Interesting.
0: I, I have one final question. This is going to require both of your brain power. So <laughs> we're, we're going to go for this one. This is a big one, okay? I, I need each of you to make a bold prediction for, you know, let's say 10 years from now what the future of web design looks like. Just one bold prediction. Doesn't have to be about everything. Just maybe one thing that you feel strongly about that's going to change in web design.
2: I think uh, the biggest thing in web design is that uh, the websites that we're building now, they're starting to collect a lot of information about us. And I, I definitely anticipate in the next 10 years that websites will actually know what we want when we get to them and actually start predicting those things and being able to deliver something personalized to me that you know i it knows i'm coming to this because it probably heard me on my phone or on my google home or whatever to like it's go he's interested in food right now it's lunchtime i'm going to present him with his favorite three options (laughs) you know whatever it is like it's going to be more predictive about what it's serving to us Mm -hmm. rather than just always serving up the same experience
1: that's funny my answer was actually very similar Uh, A step further. I was going to say that we're not going to build it anymore. It'll be AI will be building the web experience. Like you will again, just like you said, it'll be very dynamic and it knows me so well that Jeff is always hungry. Here's his favorite (laughs) restaurant. It's two miles away, (laughs) or he's going to be getting hungry in about ten minutes. Like it'll it'll know everything about me. Uh, It'll, like I said, it's going to be less driven by us and more driven by data. But I do I do think AI is actually going to do the building. (laughs)
0: <laughs> do you, do, has Elon Musk scared you uh, with that, thinking that maybe AI is going to take over the world? Like, are, do you think that's a good thing, or are you a little bit scared that that is the reality of our future?
1: Uh, me personally, yeah, I, I do not have an Alexa in my house yet, and I'm really reticent to like. I don't. I don't like the idea of something always listening. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it like that feels very invasive to me. But again, this is me coming from a time when we didn't have the internet. Like I grew up. In fact, I was reading a story to my, uh, my stepdaughter the other day, and the book was written in the 90s, something like that. And it's a little girl. She's in first grade. She's watching TV, and it mentions that a TV commercial comes up. And she goes, what's a TV commercial? And the best I could tell, her was like, oh, you know, on YouTube, when an advertisement comes up first? <laughs> uh, she goes, yeah. Said, it was like that, except you couldn't predict. Like, it just kind of came on. And she goes, why, would, why didn't you uh, just choose what you wanted to watch? And I said, we didn't have that choice. Like, <laughs> things were on. You could either watch them or not. Like, that was yeah. our choice. There were no <laughs>
2: skipping commercials back then. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> So, again, I'm coming from this world where I could walk away from technology if I wanted to. And that's just not true sure. for her. But she's also not uncomfortable with it either. Like, she's fine with, like, this is the way things are. So I'm going to become the old generation of, like, I don't want computers in my house. I'm going to go live in the woods in a wood cabin that I'm going to build for myself. <laughs> And I'm uh, going to think that's comfortable. And she's going to grow up in a world with the internet that's always going to be like facilitating and helping her lifestyle, making things easier <laughs> for her. And she's going to be comfortable with that. So it's yeah. not good or bad. It's just different.
0: The WordPress developer that avoids computers at all costs. I
1: don't, think, it, I don't <laughs> think it's good or bad. I think it's just different. Uh, and it depends on how you're jumping, when you're jumping into the technology.
2: Right. I think it's interesting because actually I just watched uh, the documentary on Netflix, AlphaGo. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen that, but it's basically about the AI system who's designed to beat the best players in the world at Alpha, uh, go. Uh, mm-hmm. the old like the oldest uh, board game available, right? And watching that, like it was actually like demoralizing to the players. like the best players in the in in go in the world <laughs> were beat by this AI. and like it it just broke their world. Like go was this sort of like trans-dimensional place for them. And it, like this AI just stole that from them. We're like, no, I can still beat you. And and it, <laughs> it, it put, it put like such a, like a, like it made me start questioning like, we're starting to manipulate our feelings with AI. So that, that before that I was like, oh, AI, yeah, that's great. It's convenient, right? Right. So I'm a little... Well, we'll, yeah. we'll see where it all goes. For sure. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate having you guys
0: on. I want to give you a chance to just talk about Pixel Jar for a minute here. Talk about what, what you're still building after all these years there. And if there's anything else that you want to bring up that you want to share with the audience, please do.
2: Uh, Brandon,
0: I'll let you start. And then, Jeff, you can kind of finish this
2: out. All right, well, we appreciate definitely the opportunity to jump on here. Um, I would say like Pixel Jar. Uh, we're a small, a small company, right? We, there's four of us internally and, and we're really, really small, but agile. We're really passionate about the kinds of things we do so much so that, uh, we have a line of products that we're, we're putting out for WordPress because that gives us the freedom and creativity to, to build something to the quality that we like and all that kind of stuff. So I'll just mention those. Uh, we have an ad platform for WordPress, uh, which is called ad sanity. Uh, and you can find that at adsanityplugin.com, and uh, it's a it's a super simple, super lightweight ad ad manager. So you can drop all your banners into your site, all that kind of stuff, and serve them up to your users uh, if you're doing some advertising. And the second one is more on optimization, which which handles more of um, click tracking with Google Analytics and really understanding more behaviorally what your users are doing on your website. Mm-hmm. And that one's called Click Ranger Pro, which can be found at clickrangerpro.com. And those are the things that I think I'm I'm super excited about right now. We've we've got a ton of work that we're doing, but um, those are the things that we keep coming back to and being excited to put our our sort of innovation towards. So, awesome.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, Brandon said most of it. Uh, obviously, with PixelJar, like our two big things are finding solutions and communication. Like we 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 never get accused of uh, not giving enough information to our clients. So we like that. We like we like to treat our clients the way we wanted to be treated when we were on the other side of this. But and again, thank you very much for having us on. It's been a pleasure having this conversation. Uh, it's always fun to talk about just the stuff that's going on, but especially like the talking about the future. That's fun.
2: Oh, time yeah. this comes up in the past, uh, that's that's
1: always a good yeah, conversation. I know, I know. So, but <laughs> thank sure. you very much. It was a pleasure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was great having you guys on again, Brandon Dove and Jeff Zinn from PixelJar. Please go visit pixeljar.com. And also, the we'll, we'll have the links to the plugins in the show notes for you all as well. Thank you very much for coming on. It was awesome speaking with you. All right. And that's it for today's episode. Again, if you're a first-time listener or you've been at it since the beginning, please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Wherever you get your podcast, we've got you covered anywhere you want.